The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Friday, May 21st, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. The Brood X cicadas have re-emerged and are losing their butts due to a zombie-inducing fungus. Bald eagles are re-emerging from the brink of extinction, causing a new trend in puppy fashion. Incredibly punk, spiky vests. And one of the best fictional bands, Mouse Rat, has re-emerged from the pit to produce an actual, real album coming later this summer. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. We need to talk about the cicadas. They're not okay. I've talked about Brood X, the currently emerging group of periodical cicadas, a number of times on this show in preparation for their return across the eastern U.S., but now that they're here, things have gotten even weirder than some of us expected. Quoting NPR, A fungus called Massospora, which can produce compounds of cathinone and amphetamine, infects a small number of cicadas and makes them lose control. The fungus takes over their bodies, causing them to lose their lower abdomen and genitals, and it pushes their mating into hyperdrive, end quote. Or, as reported Tara Galshan described it on Twitter, Cicadas, they're tripping on shrooms, losing their genitals, and have a rampant STD problem. Incredible stuff. End quote. Tripping on shrooms, you say? Well, not exactly. Although there is apparently another type of fungi called Ophiocordyceps, which attacks cicadas while they're underground, pushing them to emerge onto the forest floor early, where they then die and the fungus sprouts out of the cicada's body into a mushroom. Yeah. It's wild. But this other one, Massospora, which is infecting about 10% of Brood X cicadas right now, it causes symptoms that are making some scientists refer to the infected cicadas as zombies and flying salt shakers of death. Here's a bit more on how it all goes down, quoting the Washington Post. Periodical cicadas, or those that appear on a fixed schedule, first encounter the fungus when they're just underground. As the insects climb from tree roots to the soil's surface and await a specific temperature, the fungus germinates and infects the cicadas, said Brian Lovett, a postdoctoral researcher at West Virginia University who co-wrote a 2020 study about the fungus. About a week after the cicadas emerge, signs of the fungus start to appear. The spores force the back half of the insect's bodies to fall off, Lovett said revealing an eraser-like mass of fungus. As the cicadas continue to walk and fly, apparently oblivious to the situation, the spores fall off and infect other insects, just what the fungus is trying to provoke. 
Then the cicadas spring into action as cathinone, a behavior-altering amphetamine in the fungus, takes over their brains and encourages them to ignore the fact that half their bodies are missing. That's when their sex drives rev up, and they desperately try to mate. But since their genitals are gone, their attempts at sex only serve to spread the massospora, Lovett said. Now, the cicada is not acting in the interest of the cicada, he said, but in the interest of the fungus, end quote. So all the ones that hadn't been infected underground are now getting doused with spores from their infected peers, spores which they'll leave in the ground when they die, thereby infecting the next generation. As horrifying as all this sounds, Lovett says it's not a threat to the cicada population. It doesn't infect enough to make a dent in their ability to sustain themselves over generations, and even though it totally brainwashes and dismembers them, they don't actually die any younger. And while it's the cathinone that causes the zombie-like brain takeover for periodical cicadas, NPR notes that for yearly cicadas infected by the massospora fungus, their hypersexuality is caused by psilocybin, the same chemical in psychedelic mushrooms. Despite that, Lovett says you wouldn't feel any psychedelic effects if you tried eating an infected cicada, which apparently is a question the Washington Post felt relevant enough to answer. And I guess it is fair because there's been a whole wave of articles about recipes for eating cicadas over the past several weeks. And for the record, most recipes call for you to eat them when they're in their nymph stage pre-adulthood, at which point they have very little of the fungus in them anyways. And on the note of all the cicada hype happening right now, scientists are hoping to take advantage of that and encouraging folks to log cicadas they see in the Cicada Safari app and any birds that you see nearby using the Brood X Bird Feast website. Since periodical cicadas only emerge for about six weeks, scientists need all the help they can get recording data on the ephemeral bugs. And while all this massospora stuff is news to me, and likely most non-entomologists, scientists have been aware of the fungus's effect on cicadas since the 1800s. So this isn't a new phenomenon this year or with this brood, but it is still quite a nightmarish one. And wait, there's more. Brudex cicadas aren't just oversexed zombies whose butts are falling off, they're also experiencing what The Atlantic is calling an existential crisis. Here's how Wired summarizes it, quote, Scientists are also tracking a symbiotic microbe that lives in the insect's gut and provides it with vitamins and amino acids that it can't get from tree sap. This microbe is a bacterium that was once a parasite of the cicada, Chris Simon, a professor of ecology and evolutionary biology at the University of Connecticut, says. The cicada is trapped in a 17-year cycle that has forced it to make unusual adaptations like living with this symbiont. We just don't know how big of a burden it is on the cicada, Simon says. It's weird, and this coevolution appears to be ongoing. The microbe's genome is starting to break down into smaller pieces of genetic material during cell division, making it more difficult for the host to pass on the symbiont to its fertilized eggs, end quote. And from The Atlantic, quote, Nature is full of messes like this. Evolution doesn't proceed according to a plan, and often has to bootstrap its way out of problems of its own making. But John McCutcheon of Arizona State University suspects that the cicada's plight will only get more complicated. Hodgkinia, one of the pesky symbionts in question, McCutcheon thinks will continue to fragment, and the cicadas will be forced to evolve more convoluted ways of wrangling their partners. 
two outcomes are possible. The first is replacement. In 2018, McCutcheon's colleague Yu Matsura found that some Japanese cicadas have dispensed with Hodgkinia and all its messy drama. In its place, they've domesticated Ophiocordyceps, the infamous fungus that normally parasitizes and zombifies insects. The second outcome is worse. Although cicadas have existed for about 200 million years, those with fragmented Hodgkinias have been around for only a few million of those. That might be because fragmentation leads to the literal dead end of their extinction. The periodical cicadas aren't going to go extinct next year, McCutcheon said, but we know they're not heading into a good situation. End quote. You know, I and many others have often drawn comparisons between Brood X's reemergence and the post-vaccine reopening of some parts of the world right now, the sort of bleary-eyed embarking from your hovel into the sunlight, eager to mingle with hordes of other humans once again. But whether it's a psychedelic zombie epidemic or an accelerated evolutionary extinction, here's hoping we don't meet quite the same fate as Brood X. Bald eagles, once on the endangered species list, have seen their numbers quadruple over the past decade thanks to conservation efforts. And like the quintessential symbol of America they are, they've now taken to tormenting Canadians. Quoting the Wall Street Journal, Flocks have been spotted along highways in the Pacific Northwest, feasting in a landfill in Vancouver. Earlier this year, a ravenous raptor stalked and killed a seagull in front of shocked onlookers at a busy Vancouver golf course, end quote. The eagles are rampant all over British Columbia, and it's not just seagulls who need to watch their backs. All manner of small animals are in danger. Quoting again, Eagles are strong enough to carry a 12-pound salmon, so a 4-pound dog is nothing, says Mark Robokoff, owner of the AK Bark Pet Shop in Anchorage. His shop sells Coyote Vest, a protective jacket covered in Kevlar and spikes, intended to protect small pets from coyotes. Mr. Robokoff immediately recognized its potential in a state with an estimated 30,000 bald eagles. The vest is topped with bright red nylon whiskers that he says scare off the birds from above. End quote. While Robocop's business is surging, wildlife experts say bald eagles probably won't fly off with your puppy. They can drag a large salmon, sure, but they aren't going to scoop a dog off the ground that weighs as much as they do and fly away with it. They could still peck at them and injure them in other ways, though, so the precautions aren't completely unfounded. And it's not just dogs. Cats, chickens, and even lambs have been attacked by eagles as of late. One woman told the journal that she watched an eagle in her backyard in British Columbia drag a Canadian goose back and forth across the rocks for hours, apparently tenderizing its meat before digging in. So, kind of horrifying, but at least Robocop's doggy armor is super adorable, if slightly disconcerting with the big porcupine-esque whiskers that are nearly as big as the dog itself. Check the link in the show notes for a photo of a dog named Bindi, presumably on their way to a socially distanced punk show. Actually, now that I think of it, human versions of these vests would be perfect for social distancing. So American sitcom Parks and Recreation's favorite fictional band Mouse Rat is apparently putting out a very real album on August 27th. 
On Wednesday, exactly 10 years after the song first aired in the season 3 finale of Parks and Rec, the not-so-fake-anymore band released a music video for 5,000 Candles in the Wind, a memorial song for a miniature horse meant to be 5,000 times better than Candles in the Wind, and a song so stupidly emotional that I actually cried when the cast reunited to sing it over video conference for their reunion show at the start of the pandemic. Although, that might have also had to do with extra stress from, you know, the pandemic. Now, because every press release-generated article about this news is half in character and packed full of jokes, I can't actually tell the motivation here or who all exactly is behind it. Most headlines are crediting Chris Pratt with bringing the band back together, perhaps a well-calculated move to vault him out of his perpetual ranking as Worst Chris by reincarnating his most beloved role— But who exactly is the band? The actor-musicians who originally played the band on screen have tweeted the announcement jokingly, which at least indicates there's no bad blood if they weren't involved. The official Parks and Recreation accounts retweeted the album announcement, but didn't have their own marketing campaign. So, while it is officially licensed from the show, it appears to be a separate endeavor. The album itself is being produced by Dual Tone, a real folk and Americana label from Nashville, whose catalog includes The Lumineers, June Carter Cash, and the late Chuck Berry. Dual Tone is keeping up the charade, however, and claiming to be in collaboration with fake Parks and Rec company Entertainment 720. Founded by Aziz Ansari's Tom Haverford and Ben Schwartz's John Ralphio Saperstein. Dual Tone president Paul Roper had this to say, quote, any creative business coming out of Pawnee is tied to Haverford, from Rent-A-Swag to Tommy Fresh Cologne and Tom's Bistro, not to mention his business ideas not yet formed, like the scented phone, talking tissues, contact lenses that display text messages, and the glitter-infused laundry detergent Sparkle Suds. Partnering with Entertainment 720's hype machine was essential. The man is an idea factory. End quote. Continuing with the referential promotion, they also got actor Jay Jackson to reprise his role as local news anchor Purd Happily in a video that appears to have been solicited via Cameo. Lead vocals on the album are confirmed to be performed by Chris Pratt, with other songs featuring Nick Offerman on saxophone reprising his role as his character Ron Swanson's alter ego, Duke Silver as well as Wilco's Jeff Tweedy, who appeared on Parks and Rec as the frontman of another former fictional local band, Land Ho. That band reunited in one of the most epic episodes of Parks and Rec ever, which also featured actual performances by real bands Letters to Cleo, Yola Tango, The Decemberists, and Genuine. And I am realizing that if you never watched Parks and Rec, all of this sounds like an overly complex fever dream, which is a pretty apt way to describe the show at times. And if any of this does sound at all intriguing, I do recommend watching it. It's a genuinely uplifting show that I once saw compared to Big Bang Theory as a show that actually understands nerds. Like, it's a show where people are enthusiastic about their weird interests and supportive of each other. It's not written for us to point and laugh at their eccentricities, like on Big Bang Theory, but rather for us to be brought into their wonderful and clever world. So maybe check it out if you haven't before, and you can watch the 5,000 Candles in the Wind music video, which incredibly looks like someone in the Parks and Rec office edited it on Windows Movie Maker 10 years ago. You can watch that on Mouse Rat's YouTube channel and listen to the single on most streaming platforms. 
The full 15-track album, dubbed The Awesome Album, drops on August 27th. Most of the tracks appear to be ones that were played or referenced in passing on the show like The Pits, Sex Hair, and Anne Song. In addition to streaming, it will be available to purchase on CD, cassette, digital download, and four different limited edition colored vinyl options, including Duke Silver and Cherry Gurgich. I still don't quite understand why any of this is happening, but I'm here for it. Kathleen Palmer, a high school senior from Medford, New Jersey, is one of the winners of this year's Congressional Art Competition, a program in which high schoolers around the U.S. are invited to submit visual art to their district representatives, and winning pieces are displayed in the U.S. Capitol building for one year. Palmer's cubist-style painting of two men in a dark setting, one with antlers, the other writing in a notebook, was announced as the district winner yesterday by her representative Andy Kim. There's just one more detail that makes this story absolutely amazing. Palmer's painting is fan art from the TV show Hannibal. The two men in the painting are characters Will Graham and Hannibal Lecter, as played by Hugh Dancy and Mads Mikkelsen, respectively, the lead characters of the show and a very popular ship online. In other words, there is an abundant amount of fan art, fan fiction, and discourse about the punitively canonical romantic relationship between Will and Hannibal, aka the murder husbands, or Hannagram as some fans call them. So some Hannibal fan art is about to be displayed in the U.S. Capitol building for the next year. Whether Palmer herself ships the two characters is unknown, but the painting is incredible and stands on its own merit even without knowing the backstory. As for if any of the officials running the competition were aware of the painting technically being fan art, Palmer's High School tweeted out that it was based on a TV show Palmer was currently watching. And while Representative Kim didn't originally say anything, once the tweet had blown up enough that Hannibal showrunner Brian Fuller retweeted it with the hashtag FanArtIsArt, Representative Kim replied to that saying, quote, If I invite you to the Capitol to see the artwork, does that mean there will be a season four? End quote. Now, I know he was just playing along and the assistant recommended what he should say, but I kind of want to believe that Representative Kim is a giant Hannibal stan and picked this piece as the winner for just that reason. Maybe it could be a New Jersey congressman who finally gets Hannibal back on the airwaves. But that is it for this week. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again on Monday.